Hey guys, welcome to Electronic Dance Money, your number one business resource for making money as electronic musicians and producers. Alright, welcome to the very first episode of Electronic Dance Money. Today my first guest is Danny Troya. You are the owner and audio engineer over at Cinco Sounds, which is your own studio you run. You do mixing and mastering for hip-hop and R&B artists, um, but you're also a hip-hop producer and that's why I'm having you on the episode today because... I met you through the Six Figure Home Studio community. We're both a part of the Slack channel there. And I was looking for some people who I could interview for this episode, specifically producers who have monetized making tracks. And that's an extremely difficult thing to do, especially in today's world because it is a very saturated market. And after talking to you, you were telling me that you were making over $2,000 a month making hip hop beats just on hip-hop beats. I mean, that's a livable wage. If you have a roommate or two, you can just sit in your studio and make beats. So I I first want to get into how did you get into that realm? Where did, where, what's your story? What's your introduction here? How did you get from just opening up a DAW, playing around with a drum? I'm sure it was a drum sampler to making $2,000 a month on beats. Sure. So um the whole beat making thing started just from like me having like that passion and love for music um so so yeah i mean started from there I, I was really into like electronic dance music back then and my beat started off as you know me getting into like trance music and then moving over to progressive house and then when the whole dubstep craze started happening i got into dubstep but uh yeah i was djing for a little bit so uh that was like the route i was trying to go i was trying to be like a headlining superstar edm dj i'm not gonna lie i was like trying to be like another skrillex i was like yo this guy <laughs> so is everyone so du- I, I know like it was just you know what i mean like he would post those cool videos on youtube and like of him like touring and he's just like oh my god i want that when you're you know when you're younger right so uh so yeah i know like that's really well where like it all started and it wasn't until i was djing for this hip-hop group they they put out like, a local ad up they wanted a dj to help him out um, with their performances and whatnot. So I was like, whatever, I'll apply it. And then, um, there was like a whole interview process and then they ended up choosing me. And then that's kind of like really where like a lot of the exposure for hip hop started happening. Cause I used to listen to hip hop back then, but I was never in a studio with hip hop artists. I was never, um, really around that whole culture and everything like 100% until like I started doing that. And it, that's really where the love started happening. And I started seeing like a lot of differences between EDM and hip hop because the whole process for even making beats is completely different. I think that's super interesting that you're saying that because I've always pictured it as being very similar. When you're starting a hip hop beat, are you just kind of focusing on like an eight bar loop? Oh, so you know what? That kind of process is similar, but when you're an EDM DJ or an EDM producer, you are the focus. Right. You're like the... Okay. I'm supposed to take the shine here and whatnot. But when yeah. you're like producing hip hop and it took me so long to get my head around this because, you know, I was eat, I was producing EDM for so long, I would pre- overproduce the hell out of everything. Where we come from, we're supposed to kind of fill 
every pocket of space, every frequency that you can think of. And I just, you want to like not put all our cards on the table, but show a lot of them and flex kind of in a way so that you like, yo, like you can see I'm skillful and talented or whatever, right? Hip hop guys don't give a fuck about that. Like there's been times where I played hip hop beats in this hip hop beats that I made in the studio. They're literally like overwhelmed. They're like, holy crap, that was the most epic shit I've ever heard, but I have no idea how I'm going to rap over that. So it, it took a long time to figure that out and like to really realize, man, hip hop beats and R&B beats too can be really simple and like it's you know the the artists like you you do have to leave a lot of pocket of space for them to to be able to to write to that record and take it to the next level and it's a, you, you kind of have to humble yourself quite a bit for that what you just said right there is very well said and i think that is an extremely important point to this episode that producers should take especially hip-hop producers because if you're a fairly new hip-hop producer and you've only been producing for you know one maybe two even three years you might still even be in that frame that that mind frame of oh well i'm the producer i want to make money you're coming in with selfish reason reasons i think that's how a lot of producers and audio engineers come into the field they're coming in with selfish reasons they want to make a name for themselves they want to make money but i think you evolve when you flip that script when you go oh you know it's not about me and i think as audio engineers that's how it is too it's not about us as audio engineers it's about the producers we're mixing and mastering for we're trying to make them the hero of their story i think it's the exact now that you mentioned that is the exact same way if you're a hip-hop producer it's not really about you it's the voice that's on your track you want to make them sound good a hundred percent yeah man it took forever to get that wrapped around my head. I'm not gonna lie, a lot of that was like ego, right? Even when I would meet, especially when I just started getting into, I would meet other hip hop producers. I would be making beats for the artists. You know, the artists would be choosing their beats over mine and whatnot. And I'd be thinking like, man, but like their beats are so simple and mine's are just like, mine's are awesome. Like there's so yeah. much going on. Like these guys are using like Nexus preset. It's almost like 80% samples, barely any sound design going in. For, for me, I'm like making all my sounds from scratch. And you know what I mean? Like I was like, there's so much ego and pride and I, it just took forever to, to really, humble the fuck out of myself and be like yo like it's not about me man calm your tits the artist is supposed to sound good if there's like tips and tricks you can give them to make them sound good it would be great it's not it's not about you 100 percent. yeah and i think the preset thing is a big big one too like people are so ashamed to use presets they feel like they need to make these complicated sounds and that's what's going to drive everything and make it sound better but i don't know if you know this or if you've seen if you've seen it before there's a preset in silent that mac miller used I forgot what it's called and I can't remember what track it was, but you literally, it's an ARP and he hit one note and I want to say it was just the middle C note and that's the entire song. It's a preset in silent that he just held and that was one of his biggest tracks ever. I can't remember the name of the, the name of the track, but yeah, I think simplicity is, is probably a, it's a huge thing in making hip hop beats and R&B make it simple so that the rapper can make it complicated. How long were you producing for before you realized, oh, you know what? I think I could sell this beat. Okay. So I started when I was like 16, 17. It was like the last year of high school. Uh, again, it was Ethel studio. I saw a buddy producing on that and I was blown away that you can record your ideas and, and change the sounds up. So Took a while to get to wrap my head around that, but from that time up until about the age of 21, 22, that's when I discovered the whole beat selling thing. So up until that point, 
you know, I was just like doing a lot of EDM stuff. I thought like, again, major labels are going to pay me, right? That was my route. I was like, oh, I'm going to get big enough that I'm going to get noticed by one of these labels. I'm going to get noticed by Osla or Mousetrap or all this kind of shit. And then like, and I'm going to get signed to them, right? But, but yeah, no, it wasn't until, you know, it was like 22, I think, or 21. I'm 25 right now, by the way. 21 or 22 when I discovered the whole beat selling thing online. And I was like, fucking blown away by it. People are getting paid right now ASAP. And I thought it was illegal. I was like, how can you sell the same beat? To, to fucking 100 or 200 different artists. That makes no sense to me. That's fucked up. Again, ego was in the way. I was like, I'm better than that. I'm not gonna be one of those guys that are just pumping up beats nonstop, nonstop, right? So even though I heard about that, I wasn't doing it. And then it wasn't until like, I would say two years ago, let me just humble myself. And even still, I wasn't humble because there was a whole nother process after that, that, that I had to get rid of. For example, the whole tight beat thing, right? There's a lot of controversy about tight beat producers. So if you're a tight beat producer, then you're just a sellout basically. Like you have no creative juice. You're just basically following uh, the trends and whatnot. And you know, you just, you don't really have your own sound. You're basically just trying to emulate whatever, whatever else is out there and whatnot, right? So there was that that was getting in my way because again, like I was so prideful of my music. My music is personal to me. I don't want to be that, you know, like it's not going to be fun anymore if I have to do that, right? So yeah, I, I finally got rid of that stigma. And then again, I guess the main reason in that stigma was that I thought that all type B producers were just basically doing that. They were just finding whatever hot trend was, you know, popping at the moment and then, and then trying to make a beat to that. But I decided, okay, so again, like, I think I started uploading beats around two years ago, six or seven, or I think even eight months in, and I was like, okay, nothing's happening. I have like three subscribers. But at the time, like, I wasn't marketing it right. I was, I would upload a beat with just the title, like my producer name, and that was it. Not like hip hop R&B type beat or so-and-so artist type beat. Like, I was trying to go the opposite way. I was like, oh, I'm going to be original. But guess what? Nobody gave a fuck. Nobody knew what the hell I was. Even when I would work in studios and stuff, um, I see at the time I was just getting to recording too. I was just trying to find a way to make money in this freaking loss. Like I'm getting older. I'm like, I got to find a way how to like make some money in this, in this game and whatnot. Right. So I, w I got into audio engineering at the time. All the artists that would come to the studio, they just, I'd always ask them be like, you know, where did you find this beat? I would say 98% of them said YouTube. They're all like, oh yeah, man, you can find any beats on YouTube, man. I just, you, whatever sound you want, you just do type beat. You just scroll through and find one that you like, man. Like this is clearly where the market is finding their sound. There's one or two guys who's like, oh yeah, SoundCloud. Everyone was on YouTube. Everyone's doing type beats. So, okay, let, let me do this. I decided to go back to some of my older beats that I produced. And then I would like try to reflect and think about like, hmm, who would fit over this beat? Even though when I made this beat, I wasn't thinking of any artists. It was just like me making just from my heart, who would fit over this beat? And then I, I would try to try my best to go through even my own music library just to see my influences and where like that came from. And I'd be like, okay. You know, I would start writing out Daft Punk or something. Cause like a lot of my big influences are like, I would say Daft Punk, even like the current pop culture right now, like Majid Jordan is a big one too. Like I'm, I'm massively inspired by Majid Jordan and, and, and their beats and whatnot. Is this something that maybe like, you know, uh, Majid might be able to go over or The Weeknd or like Calvin Harris. So yeah, I just started labeling my beats as such. And then I, I'll never forget, man, like it was like the day of my birthday. Uh, so like I started uploading beats like the year before, like November, and then I slowed down and then I, then I, the new year, like February-ish, I, I finally started to get consistent with it. It was like around that time, I, I just started to start using tight beats. So I only had about 10 or 20 subscribers at the time. So whatever, let me just continue uploading and hopefully one day something's going to come out of it. The day of my birthday, I remember the first sale and it blew my I got so amped. It was my Calvin Harris tight beat. It's called Freedom Finders. And somebody bought the $200 uh, unlimited lease to that. 200 US. So like I'm in Canada. So to us, that's like 500 bucks. 
<laughs> I'm fucking around. No, no. It was like it was like 260 or 270 Canadian. I remember like I couldn't sleep that night. I got so pumped up. The day after, another like $50 lease. Somebody bought a wave lease. I started seeing these trends too. Like because there was older beats that I've made when a new artist, or not not new artist, but like when an artist would put a new project out. For example, like I made a Midji Jordan beat like maybe like a year ago, but then this year they released like a small mini EP. That beat that I sold a year ago, all of a sudden starts picking up more sales because oh, yeah. because because people are looking for Maji Jordan type beats now because that is what so it's crazy it's cool to see how those trends would happen like some of my old beats would just start boom racking in sales again and I'd be like holy crap this is pretty cool. What's great is you put in all this work as a producer, you're busting your ass in the studio, and if you're marketing yourself right and you're trying to sell beats, when you get that first sale, I remember when I got my first client as an audio engineer, I got my first mixing project, and it was like, I think it was 40 or 45 bucks I charged for it. Cheap as fuck, because I was just, tr I'm trying to get clients in the door. But I remember when I made that first $45 and I go, holy shit, this is crazy. I even remember when I got my first sale through like an ad, someone who has no idea who I am, they just listen to my portfolio and they go, I want to, I want you to work on my shit. So yeah, the adrenaline, like the appreciation you have for that of after all the work you put in um it just there's nothing like it so i, I want to step back a little bit to what you were saying before about becoming more humble getting rid of the ego how did you get over that wall because i feel like that is a big barrier where producers are like ah, i don't want to make fucking tight beats i don't want to make these cheesy ass beats that other people are doing and looking for how, how do you get over that kind of barrier you know what i had a basically tell myself that I'm not better than anyone else and no one else is better than me. We all have an equal playing field. And it's like, yo, and then they were all humans. Um, we're all trying to figure out our way in this world. We all have our own path. Yo, this is what the market demands. Like you got to provide, you know, so the market, I'm not better than the market. I'm not going to find some revolutionary new way to, to market this shit. People are spending thousands of millions of dollars trying to figure it, figure this shit out right now. And, and this is, this is what is working right now. So I figure I'm like, I just got to, Humble my ass and just do it. Yeah, there's no point in waiting. There's no point in reinventing the wheel at all. Uh, so how did you, how do you overcome such an, it's a very competitive market to sell beats to hip hop producers. How do you differentiate yourself? I know you're, we just talked about how like you got to get over the ego of you can make tight beats and you can make money off of it, but so many people are doing that. How do you work within that competitive field? Is it kind of a rule of numbers? Like if you put out enough type beats out of there, someone will buy it? Uh, yeah, so there is that route. So YouTube, you know, they obviously, their algorithm, it makes people who upload more often more noticeable. Like obviously there's a caveat to that. If you're if putting 20 things up in one day, they're going to look kind of like, that's a, um, they're gonna be like, is that a bot? <laughs> it, it, exactly, yeah. Is, is that a new Android? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So so yeah, no. It's like you gotta work with your system, but at the same time, I would say to stick out, man. And this is what did it for me too, because and every time, literally, if I go through all my beats right now, the beats that didn't sell were the ones that I specifically tried to market for or do for the market. Every beat that came from the heart that I made that was like, yo, this is just what, what I want to listen to. This is what I want to hear. This is just like what's inspiration flowing through me right now in this current moment in my life. Those are the beats that, that, that did the best. Going the other way, man. No, you have a better chance going the other way. Don't go with everyone else. Just go the other way. Because if you look at my subscriber count, I only have like 600 subscribers on, on YouTube. 
I'm making these kind of sales. And it's like, I'm thinking about like, holy fuck, imagine the people who have like 500,000, right? I mean, they have a whole completely different kind of ball game. There's people who still DM me right now because I haven't made beats in a long time. I've been just really focusing on the whole audio engineering thing. There's people who like message me from Australia, from fucking Venezuela, from uh, some, some guy from Germany, a girl from Japan. There's just people like, yo, why'd you stop uploading beats? The beats that I'm making and I'm not, okay, here I am when I start blowing myself. The beats that I'm making, are they're very inspired by like uh, retro 80s synths and whatnot. So like, it's not even really hip hop beats. They're like a mostly like R&B, slow jam kind of beats, very synth pop, retro, things again, heavily influenced by, by 80s synths and soundtracks and like Daft Punk and whatnot. So people people like that shit. People want to people wanna hear that, but like I have my own twist on it, right? Like it's not just... It's like that. It's got those sounds, but then like I like the the modern day and age of Majid Jordan's heavy hitting bass and whatnot, right? So I have all my influences pulling from all these different things and whatnot, and then that's what makes my sound. And then from there, when I make the beat, I just market it as such. I just go, okay, this is the beat that I, I made. It came, you know, from my heart. Now, who do I think can fit over it? And okay, so the- sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but now I now I see the direction you're going. You're pulling in your inspiration while you're making these beats. You're just pulling the inspiration from artists that you really love, and you're making the track that you want to hear. Now, when you go to market it, you're thinking, well, what rapper is gonna want? What rapper would want to hit this track? Who who would want to rap over this track? Who would want to record over this? And then you go, okay, this is this person type beat. Then exactly. There's been many times where like I really couldn't figure out. I'm like, I don't know who the hell would fit over this. I I, I literally couldn't figure it out. And then I was like, fuck it, let me just put this artist's name, and I hope for the best. And then um, I had people correct me in the YouTube comments and be like, oh, this doesn't sound like this person, but it does sound like this. I'm like, oh, you're right. Let me change that. And, and then boom, numbers are going up. I'm like, hey. There you so, go. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, it's... It's a very useful marketing technique that I guarantee most producers aren't doing. So you want to, you, yeah, you want to focus on your creative energy, what inspires you, put your twist on your own track, but then think about who would rap over that track so that you can market it as such. It sounds like most of what you're doing is on YouTube. So you're kind of, are you upload like when you were heavily in this game and you were making two grand a month doing this kind of work, were you uploading to YouTube like weekly, one beat a week? So you're kind of staying within that algorithm. Yeah, you're exactly. Always updating so it was portfolio. Uh, about a beat a week. That's all I was able to output. I, like, I think there's a couple of weeks where I did like two beats in one week. It was about a beat a week and I got, I think I think for sure, like to get better results, you know, if you did two beats a week, I'm I'm sure like you'd be getting better results that way. But for me, and also part of the reason why I'm doing audio engineering is because I find that it's hard to get in that zone. It's hard to get in and hard to finish a project that I like that I will put out there. That's why the reason why I'm like, man, I can't rely on my beat selling to, I guess, be a hundred percent of my income. Like I gotta find something that's gonna give me, you know, just like the the bottom line which is like my audio engineering which i actually i personally love too like i love audio engineering too i love working with an artist and the great part is it's like a double sword a lot of the artists that i work with i've also sold beats to them so i'm recording them selling the beats mixing it and mastering it so it's like full package it's everything full 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 package exactly so what are some other websites that you use because i know it's not just youtube where people are finding your tracks messaging you and then you're sending like a paypal link or whatever what other sites are you using to sell beats online yeah, so the main online retailer that I'm using is BeatStars. And I've actually... Can you spell you know, that out? Uh, BeatStars. So it's uh, B-E-A-T-S-T-A-R-S.com. So BeatStars.com. I remember the first one I used was called My Flash Store, but I think they're called Airbit now. 
ugly GUI, absolutely terrible. The reason why I switched to BeatStars because I was like, holy crap, they had their YouTube content ID program. If any asshole ever tries to rip off your beat, can whitelist your video. So it's like, hey, this is like my video. Anyone that uses it, they can't monetize off of it. Their monetization comes to me. I like that. I was like, yo, that's pretty cool. So I'm I'm going to choose BeatStars for that. But also like they had a really good flash player. So it's really good for mobile. They could create a loop. Uh, between a certain amount of time and put like a notepad in the same app and you can start writing lyrics to the song right then and there as you're streaming it. So I thought, yo, that's fucking dope. My flasher doesn't have that. So I got to switch. So I've been with them ever since. But yeah, I know like I, I've made some sales just off of the Beatstar websites alone. Because even when I'm in the studio, for example, there's a couple of songwriters that they don't always come prepared. They just want to get into the flow and get inspired. So they'll just go on Beatstars and they'll just start flipping through beats. They'll just start playing. Like, no, I'm not feeling that one. Next one on BeatStars. And then like, once they find a track, they're like, yo, okay, we gotta get this one or whatever. So they'll download it right then and there. There's like an option, most producers have an option for a free download, but it has your voice tag all over it. Um, and then, and then when, when you finally like decide if you're going to choose the track, if it's going to make the EP or it's going to make the single, then it's like, okay, now, now we'll buy it. Right now we'll buy like the $30 or the $40 lease. A question I have for that is these leasing agreements that you're talking about. And you mentioned earlier, there's a wave lease you can do, um, or you can actually lease the track. So if, is it set up? So if they lease a track, it's like $60 and they can u- just use it for one song. Yeah. So, um, when you buy a beat off you, for example, say I'm an artist and I go in your beat store and I'm like, okay, I'm looking for a beat, right? You offer them different packages that they can choose from and each of them costs slightly more and it gives you more benefits. So the, mo- the most basic one is like an MP3 license. So this will uh, give you the uh, you know the ability to to monetize off of like streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, yada, 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 sell units on iTunes. And um, yeah, but it gives you like a limited amount of streams that you're able to do that before you have to renew the lease and, um, and, and you know, um, upgrade it down the road or whatever and like be able to get the unlimited stream package. So like I have a, my un, my unlimited lease, which is essentially you get the MP3 wave master and then all the stems, but you get royalty free, right? You pay me up front 200 bucks, and then you can do whatever the fuck you want with the track, but at the end of the day, I still own 100% of the publishing, right? I still own this track. The reason why you're able to create this song and upload it on Spotify and have 20 other artists do the exact same thing is because um, the contract legally allows you to make a derivative copy of the song. That's That specific word is the reason why this is all legal because you're creating a derivative copy of it. So um, the moment an artist buys that, creates his own lyrics or whatever and puts it over the beat that's a derivative copy and it, the leads grants him the, the rights to do that and are there contracts in place on beat stars that basically people are signing an agreement as they're purchasing your track exactly so in uh, this is not fuck man this is why i love beat stars too this is they, they had this first before anyone else and the reason why i love them is because they had like a template contract that you can go in and also edit as well too so the moment you pay for it uh, you, when you put, put your information, like your your legal name and your artist name, um, your address, yada, 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 it automatically auto-fills that contract. So everything's automated. So in the moment I'm an artist, I like to beat, put my information, uh, cash out through PayPal, and then boom, like the sales made. I I immediately make the money and then they immediately get the download for the for that beat that's untagged and also the copy of the contract with the exact same uh, date and minute to the second that they bought it. So okay, so you you get a copy of the contract that they sign and they do as well. Now, does BeatStars have some sort of automated script that scans Spotify so that once they hit a stream cap? they'll get an email saying, hey, you are no longer allowed to use this. You need to upgrade. How does that work? No, so um, I, that'd be pretty cool if they did, but they don't have that. So at the end of the day, the way I see it is if some person bought your MP3 
you know, I think mine's only grant you like 30,000 or 40,000 streams. But they start racking in like three or four million plays. Like they just blow up for some fucking reason, right? And you you hear the track, you're like, wait, that's my B. Exactly. And then I'll, I'll probably go through my records. I'm like, okay, let's see. Go through my PayPal and try to find like what what you know what license did they buy? If they even bought a license, right? And if I see like, oh, they only bought a Waverly, so it only gives you fifty thousand streams. But here I am seeing five million. I mean, yeah, I have the legal rights that I could sue them. I just fucking file a subpoena and just you know see him in court in six months and whatnot or i could like work out a deal with them or you know what i mean like it's there's so many different ways you can go about doing it so again it's, it's not 100 perfect right and and yeah like this is something that you kind of have to keep an eye out on occasionally i get sometimes people trying to flag my video because like the management that bought my beat um try to do all this hectic legal stuff on it and now like youtube's trying to remove my video and then from there all you gotta do is just file a claim saying hey you know this is my original copy they haven't bought an exclusive rights to it i still own 100 of rights they have like the fucking the information to see that because they see that like my beat was uploaded like fucking eight months before they they put their shit up so um and plus i have a beat stars youtube content id so the moment i whenever i upload a beat boom automatically gets signed with youtube and it's like i'm the first one to have it so this is a very important lesson that producers should learn and learn now if you're small and still kind of new to trying to sell beats be organized when someone buys your track Take a copy of that invoice, have a folder set up, maybe even print the invoice and print the contract and make sure those two are together. Organize some sort some sort of file system on your hard drive or even better on Google Drive or Dropbox because that's on the cloud. So if your computer crashes, you'll still have, you know, if you're set up on Dropbox and you're organized well, that's all going to be set up there for when you're for your filing system. So make sure you have a filing system in place for when someone buys your track, put a copy of their contract, a copy of their PayPal invoice, and maybe make a folder for their name because they might be a returning client. So you could build up kind of a big file of everything that they're working on. And if they end up becoming a bigger artist and their track is still playing on Spotify and later on in five years, they blow up, you still have that contract organized and you go, okay, well, hey, we need to renegotiate a deal here where I'm taking a royalty percentage. Let's go into the higher tier of leasing because I think you all you also mentioned wave leasing. Is that basically they outright buy your track for a higher dollar amount and they get unlimited everything and you kind of take a step back and it's no longer yours? So that would be the exclusive rights. So I've sold a couple of those and one of them was to Universal Music Group. So they haven't released it yet so i don't know if i can say the name but like one of my beats called freshy that if you go on youtube it's, just, it's still there on youtube but it says sold so one of the artists on there uh, their manager contacted me through um my email and then we, we moved the conversation to like it's, it's like all over the place through instagram they asked me you know how much to buy the exclusive rights to it the only exclusive right beat i, I sold before that was like 500 bucks to this kid from the maryland you just basically set a higher price. So there's like an unlimited one, right? So you can still sell a bunch of unlimited ones. I still own all the rights to it, but they can still make unlimited um, sales from like streaming platforms and selling on iTunes and whatnot. What they don't get is the ability to sync it to like film or something. So say for example, um, big movie budget finds your song and they want to like basically pay you for that, right? They don't have those rights. I have those rights. So like from there, uh, we can work something out with the artist and be like, okay, uh, you know, we can do a percentage or something, right? Until that day happens, uh, they don't own the rights to that. So yeah, uh, you can split the publishing rights. So for the first few exclusive right beats that I sold, 
uh, I did like a 50-50 with the artist. And then for like the one that, actually there's two that I sold to Universal Music, but the first one, I gave them 100%. They wanted 100%. I can see the reason why. And because uh, I've had another encounter with another guy who was trying to do this with me too. They don't want to have to deal with trying to get everyone who's involved and trying to get them to sign because it's a fucking pain in the ass, man. Like I, and even getting- cutting checks is a pain in the ass too when you get into the royalty world. Exactly. Even just getting that paycheck just for the exclusive rights took forever, man. Oh my God. It took, I think it was like seven or eight months to get that paycheck. Like I thought I was going to be like, oh yeah, one month or two, I'm going to have that money. And it's like, no, like I, I had to keep following up with them and everything. Like, oh, you, you have to fill out this tax form. And I was kind of, I was like, fucking hell, like it just took forever. Right. So you, you retain all the rights until you sell an exclusive rights. And then from there, you, you either have the option of splitting the publishing rights, either 50, 50 or 30, 70, whatever option you want to go. Or in the Universal Music Group case, I did it like 100%. So they took all the rights, but I got to pay a higher price. So they bought it for $2,000, uh, which is like the most I've ever sold a B for. So let's uh, let's just kind of recap uh, these kind of these tiers. On This is on BeatStars, correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and do you get to set these tiers or is this something that BeatStars has? No, you just you set the tiers. So what I did was I just found the market value. So I, like I heard my beats and I, I'm like, yo, I know my beats are pretty quality. They're not just like five minute beats that somebody can make and then upload it, right? And these are $5 beats. I'm like, no, no, no. They, they have some value. And like, so I, w- I did some market research. I found other producers are putting up really high quality beats too. And I found that they all have around the same prices. Some of them might be like five bucks more or $10 less. But I decided to like position myself with another artist who I really like and admire, or not, sorry, artist, uh, producer who's also uploading, who I really like and admire. Uh, he goes by Mantra. So my prices basically are almost exactly the same as his. I think he's updated his. So um, his are slightly, I think a bit more just because like he's gotten some big placements with like fucking Future and Rihanna and all this kind of shit. So follow with the market. Like don't just be like that one asshole selling an MP3 license for a hundred bucks, right? Like no one's doing that. Everyone's selling the MP3 license from anywhere from like 10 bucks, 40 bucks, right? So for mine, mine's is a $30 MP3, $50 wave license, $80 stems lease, $200 unlimited license. And then like the exclusive rights, there's like a make an offer option. So it's like, do you want to buy it or not? Or, or like oh, how much are you willing to pay for it? And I get like um, people trying to uh, make an offer all the time and like always lowballing the hell out of it. I just say no, no, no until finally like I see a good price I like it. I'm like, okay, fuck it. I can part ways with this beat. Let's do it. So that's super important if you've got a producer or a rapper who's trying to haggle you and bring you down to a lower price. Stay with your price point. Know your value. And you can negotiate. Definitely negotiate, but don't undersell yourself or undervalue yourself because as soon as you undervalue yourself, that producer went, boom, I've got him. That's where I'm going to keep him at. I'm never buying another track from him over that price point. So know your value and stick to your guns when you're negotiating those kinds of values. So, uh, and with... I mean, we kind of briefly touch into it with like publishing rights, um, but with royalties, have you ever signed a track where you're getting a royalty cut? Yeah. So for some of the exclusive rights beats that I did, um, actually in a couple of them weren't even exclusive. They were, the artists were just nice enough to do this for me. I was like, oh, you're fucking dope. You just basically. But once they sign the track, they basically sign you with the record label and you get a royalty? Not even a record label because a lot of these guys are indie, right? So uh, they just uh, they distribute it through like their distributing platform. So I find that like almost everyone uh, is using DistroKid. So I'm already a part of DistroKid. So they're like, oh, let me add you. So all you do is like basically send the email, confirm you're part of it, and then you get your percentage. 
So, gotcha. so I, I made some royalty money, Quick you know, and like easy. 20 or 30 cents here and there. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> money's money, man. If you're making a little bit, you, know, you never know if a track blows up and you can be actually generating some income. Are you a part of BMI or ASCAP? Yeah. So um, because we're in Canada, it's a little different. But uh, yeah, let's let's go into that a little bit, though, like setting up publishing, especially with these beats. How do you go about that? How do you set up copyright um, publishing rights for your tracks? When do you do it? What kind of tracks are you doing it with? Whether it's, you know, these wave leases, a lease exclusive. When do you go to ASCAP or BMI and set your sign your track up for copyright? So the moment I finish a beat. There's two things actually. So you know what? Actually, there's one thing that the new BeatStars thing I haven't figured out how to do again because they updated their app. It's a little different now. But before you can create an ISRC code with BeatStars, so that that basically becomes like your digital thumbnail. So if anyone ever uses your track, BeatStars like is partnered uh, with YouTube to be able to track your song and whatnot. But yeah, no. If you for my PRO, my publishing rights organization, well, we use SoCan. Uh, the moment I finish a beat, I just like put the name in there. I'd be like, hey, so this beat called this name, fill in the information, and then from there, that's it. Like basically, like right before I upload. Just to make this clear for producers, you never know when someone can snag snag that track and they sign it up on a site like that, and then you could be shit out of luck where you now have no rights to that track at all. And if that track blows up, you could be losing millions of dollars, and you could have just fucked yourself over right there make sure you are on top of registering your tracks on these publishing sites. Yeah, it's like an extra safety net, right? So Yeah. Now, now let's let's say someone signed, they want exclusive rights. Are you able to go into those publishing sites and basically remove your rights to those tracks? Or do you stay on those? You know, I've stayed on them, actually. Um, there is one that I actually removed. So the my Freshie one, like I had to get rid of that one. Yeah, obviously, because that was with Universal, right? Yeah, and I had also had to email, um, fucking, what's this kill? I had to email BeatStars and let them know, too. They're like, hey, this beat uh, is bought by this uh, record label and whatnot, and they want, like, 100% rights to it. So I, I believe I paid, like, five bucks to, to remove it. There's some stupid fee that I had to do, but basically uh, to remove the ISRC code. So let's um kind of make this point clear. It sounds like what you can do as a hip-hop producer, if you... If you, if you sign your track up for these publishing sites, you do not need to remove yourself as the sole owner to the rights of that track unless you are signing ex- exclusive rights over to someone else. Once you sign exclusive rights over to someone else and you've accepted that payment, that payment's now in your account and you guys have a contract that's written out, an agreement, you will need to remove yourself from that. Otherwise, you'll get into some very shady legal things. And if you sign it, if you if you sell a track to Universal and keep yourself on there as the rightful owner, you don't want to get lined up with their lawyers. <laughs> nope. To dive into this a little bit further, I think this is a very important topic is rightful ownership of these tracks. When you have samples and samples that you're using in tracks and you're selling those tracks and those people are using them for commercial use are you licensing samples i haven't man i haven't heard of licensing samples for a while i mean i think licensing samples was an issue 15 20 years ago 
But I think now with so many, there's so many websites that are selling royalty-free samples that you can buy for 30, 40 bucks, use the samples all day, sell the tracks all day, and you won't get hurt. But now with Splice, you pay $8 a month and you can download over 100 samples that are royalty-free. I don't think there's that issue anymore. Have you had an issue with that? Have you had to license samples before? Do you know much about that? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I know a little bit about it, but I never had to deal with it because... I would say, I would say all my beats actually did. They, they don't have any melodic sample that I've used. There was one that I got from um, from Splice. It was like a guitar lick sound, but like I literally just like chopped that up. So like, there's no single chord progression or anything in any of my beats that were from Splice. It was like me generating uh, MIDI chord patterns and whatnot, and then like just playing it on my piano. Um, so I have used like drum samples from Splice, 100%. Like most of my samples, drums are coming from Splice and whatnot. Uh, a couple of loops that I've used also, like um, hi-hat loops and whatnot that come from Splice. But like, I know there's other people out there who like solely rely on like sampling like melodies from old films or like some obscure videos on YouTube or, or like these sample pack libraries you're talking about. Like Kingsway Music Library, for example, that's a big one. Um, Frank Dukes is like one of the creators of that. So like if you wanted, you can literally be buying melodies from like the weekend's producer, you know, the weekend, um, a lot of his like biggest tracks are coming from this guy called Frank Deuce. He's like really big in our city too. And uh, yeah, he's got that option if you wanted to do that. I don't know how that works. I never looked into it. I, they, they fucking sound amazing. Like there's nothing on Splice that sound like, well, there probably is. I haven't spent enough time on Splice. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, like he yeah, just has like really dope melody packs and whatnot that you can buy and they're like, they're royalty free. Well, I don't even know actually. So like, you don't have to look into that. I never took that route. Yeah, I think if, if, you, if you're buying samples or like you're saying melodies from a producer, mm-hmm. um, you'll definitely want to iron that out. Ask, get details written down over an email or something. So if they're saying, yeah, you can use this on anything and make money off of it, you're good. But I think for the most part, there's the the creative rights you have as an artist. There's somewhat of a gray area. But let's say you take like a sample from a movie. I think if you just pitch that up an octave, don't quote me on this. I am not a lawyer. If you just take that and you pitch it up an octave, that's you've changed it enough. But it, there is this gray area where if you if you chop it up enough and you get creative with it, where it's not you can't really directly associate that with where it originally came from. You're usually in the clear. Now that being said, I do think the best route to go for getting samples that you can legally use in commercial products and sell splice is probably going to be your best option royalty free looking up royalty free samples loops that kind of stuff just google it you'll find packs that you can buy where you get completely you get all the rights to them you have no issues as long as you have again you want to take that invoice from when you purchased it Put that in a folder so it's there just in case anything happens in the future. Just make sure you stay organized like that. You started off, what, around 18 is when you started producing. And then around 21, 22, 23, that's when you kind of figured out, oh, you know what? I need to start selling some of these beats, sell these type beats. When you started selling your beats, you were 23, you said? Like 22. 22? 22, 20, yeah. From... From from the very first time on your birthday, you sold that one beat for 200 bucks. How long was it until you started generating $2,000 a month? I would say like a whole another eight or nine months after that, because like it was when I it was like on my 23rd birthday when 
that money came in and I was like fucking blown away, right? I was like, oh my God. And then that's when I got that fire. Yo, this is possible. We could do this. I went from making like a beat every two months to like, okay, no, no, no. We're making like three or four beats a month now, like five beats a month now. Honestly, even if you go back to my music, you can kind of hear like, not the quality go get worse, but I, I was starting to learn some things. I, I was like not overproducing things as much because I realized I'm like, yo, that Calvin Harris beat was not overproduced. I'm not gonna say perfect, just the right amount of complex that separate. It was good balance. Exactly, it was good balance, you know? It was like, it wasn't too simple that it was boring. It wasn't too complex. I was like, okay, I don't know what to do with it. I had just the right melody and everything going on. And it made me realize too, because up until that point, other beats that I was like experimenting with too, I was trying to figure out like, you know, should, should I just be like the, the guy that can make all different kinds of sounds and whatnot? Or should I be like the, with the guy that has that sound where, yo, this is just my preference. I like smooth R&B, retro synth inspired music. I find that like when I start focusing more on that, my, my sales went up, you know, like I have like other beats, trap beats that I try making that I have not sold a single, I haven't made a single sale off of any of the trap beats that I made. When you're trying to be successful in this, I think this is kind of the direction you should follow. And this is all about niching down, finding what you're good at. When you, you know, when you're starting out, make a bunch of different kinds of beats, make a bunch of different kind of type beats that are different artists and infuse genres together. And once you have a big enough portfolio that you've built up for eight or nine months and it's out there on the web, you'll start once you make that first sale, go, OK, what track was that? What kind of type beat was it? Let me try working on that a little bit more. And if you start seeing more sales on that kind of genre or specific style you're working on, double down stop working on everything else hone your skills in that one genre or that one type beat and just focus on that because that's the market telling you we want more of this keep delivering this and you will start to rise to the top of being that person for that style yeah you, oh man 100 percent. like i know you and i both got this from from Brian Hood from the six figure record because like it was because of him I made me realize I'm like man like I was trying to appeal to everyone when I even from like my my uh, my recording and my mixing services and whatnot I was trying to work with more pop R&B guys the hip hop crowd just wanted to fucking work with me I think part of the reason is I'm really good at tuning vocals I'm really good at turning really I'm not gonna say terrible performances but like really like flat so like I, I got I started getting known for that and like that that's what's keeping me booked and busy right now it's it's mixing those kind of records and I'm like man and, and the crazy part is at the time I, I didn't even like listening to those songs that much but after working them so much I actually like that kind of genre now like I actually like I actually like the fucking ignorant ratchet trap music now <laughs> I was like I, before I was like I, I cuss this crap right but now it's just like now my mind started double up like I'm just like I'm, I'm feeling this kind of shit now right so so yeah man like niche down a hundred a hundred percent you have an appreciation for it oh you know that's exactly what it is a hundred percent because when i listen to those records now i realize i'm like man like i just bought the new autotune pro i'm really trying to be the best in my city at tuning vocals like i want to fucking blow everyone out the water i'm like yo if you want the perfect sounding vocals like you got to come to sequel sound niche down i 100 percent. i'm a firm believer in that i even removed um this is going to be counterintuitive to what you're trying to do right now like with your podcast but i even removed the, the option to to hire me as a producer in the studio well, it's just not what you're doing right now. It's and, and that's totally acceptable. That's cool. You decided to focus on something else that you're more passionate about that you really want to get into. But I mean, we're, I'm having you on the episode because you've done this and people want to know how to do it. So it's and it, what you're saying is it's speaking to my heart entirely because when I was producing, I fucking hated mixing. It was a nightmare to me. It was the worst experience ever. I dreaded doing it. And because of that, I never did it. I would produce a track and then kind of mix it and then just 
move on to the next one, which is terrible. But then I was taught how to properly mix and what a mix does for you. And a mix can make or break your track. And when I learned how to do it and I started teaching other producers how to do it, I realized I actually am not that bad at this and I fucking love doing it. If I get a client's track and they send me their reference mix and I'm like, oof. Oh, I'm going to blow this. this. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I'm like, there's a lot of great elements in this, but I can hear what you're struggling with. Let me take care of this. And in about two days, a day or two, I send them this, send them a track and I'm listening to the before and after. I'm like, holy fuck. This is, I mean, it's, it feels so good to experience that. And through that, I realized this is my passion. This is what I love. So I'm, I mean, I'm in the same route where, you know, I was producing for four or five years and I thought that's what I was going to do. And then I realized it just, it wasn't what I wanted anymore. And I kind of transitioned out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what, for me, the way I see it, this business of recording and mixing people really just started popping off like this year. So I'm, I'm, in the process of like really trying to organize my schedule to be like the most efficient. So everything's like a learning process, right? So the way I see it, I'm like, yo, like producing's never gonna be go away. Like there's people still emailing me, like asking me to make, make more beats and whatnot. I tell them, and I tell them my situation too. I'm like, yo, I'm currently dealing with this right now. This is what's paying me right now. When the time comes and I'm able to start charging like higher rates where it's like, I don't have to be working as much and I have that extra time, then I'll go back into this again and like, you know, rekindle that love for like making beats and stuff again. And th- that's the part, like it, it ties into what we're doing anyways, right? Cause like I'm working with artists in the studio right now, you know, and the cool part is like, you can kind of hear the sounds that they like and whatever. And you one day show up, that's what I did. I made a sale this way. Like one day I showed up with a beat that, you know, I, I can tell like they were kind of trying to look for it, but they couldn't find. So then I freaking show up the beat and they're like, oh my God, like what the hell you can make beats? And I'm like, yeah, man. And like they bought it. And then that was, you know, it, I mean, like, so like double whammy, bam, you, you bought my beat. Now I'm like, I'm still recording and mixing your, your tracks. You just become kind of the man. But at the same time, there's got to be a point in time where like you have to like the level of, for me, at least, I think there's going to be a point in time where I'm going to have like the level of success where I'm able to do that again. But like right now I'm finding like fulfillment and joy just from mixing and mastering people's music and recording them. So just to touch back on our point before about niching down, you do want to niche down it is very important but don't niche down too soon. Don't start off by going, I'm just going to make this type beat and spend eight or nine months doing that because that might not be what the market is looking for. So your best scenario is to make a plethora of multiple genres, infused or not, put them out there, find out what sells, and then niche down on that. I know you haven't transitioned into running your business full time. And as a producer, you never actually took that step of just being a producer full time. Can you get into that a little bit? First of all, I want to know why you didn't make that step. And second of all, did you ever think about that step? And what what did you do to attempt to transition into that if you did that at all? Why I didn't go into making beats full time was because when I did attempt to do that, the anxiety and like stress that I got from trying to make creative ideas. Number one that I liked, that I thought was like, hey, this is good, this is gonna go out there. And number two, to get enough, you know, music out there that is gonna sell, I, I couldn't do it. I-, I would freeze into like anxiety and whatnot and like, and uh, and yeah, like I, I figured I'm like, fuck, like I-, I need some kind of bottom line, you know, like money's running out and I'm gonna need to find a way to, to start making some more money soon. Fuck, I gotta go find another part-time job again. 
um and then like and then the beat sales will start coming in again I'm, okay i'm gonna start reducing my hours and i'm gonna try doing this again and like i time and time i kept trying to do it again and i, I couldn't i realized when i had that kind of anxiety and pressure that like i need to be able to especially because like as you're getting older and like you got to really figure out a way how to provide for yourself and whatnot so i figure i'm like no there's something clearly that the market's telling me right now and it's artists are trying to get with me in the studio like they want to record to me they want me to mix and master their music and i i kept saying no to people man like wh why do i keep denying like I, I like doing it but like i was trying to really um and it, I, I guess i was like niching down before i even knew what niching down was i was really just trying to pigeonhole myself and focus on producing let me try something else let me try the opposite let me try uh doing something that I, I still really love, which is mixing, focus on that. And like whatever, whatever spare time I have, I'll start making beats again. Everything just started working out. Now my whole calendar is completely busy. And like, I, I have a hard time buying pockets of time. And I think part of that is because I'm going through like a hustle period right now where I'm trying to get a new spot for like my girl and I to move out, get a bigger studio. So like, that's really the reason why like, I'm really saving up a ton of money for that. So when the time comes, like I'll sell in again and like, you know, I have more free timing and then I'll, I'll, I'll start going back to making uh, beats and whatnot, but I'm literally just in that that hustle mode right now, so. The most important thing to, to realize and understand when you're trying to transition from doing this as part-time to full-time and quitting your job, the most important thing is to save up money. You want to pay, you want to have at least minimum three months of all of your bills, all of your groceries, anything you spend money on, you want to calculate that. How much is that going to cost for three months? And you want to save that up. And the other thing too is do not even think about transitioning into the doing this full time until your entire calendar is filled up. If you have producers hitting you up that are wanting you to make beats for them, you can start booking them and scheduling them for sessions and have that calendar start to fill up. And the other thing too is how many beats are you selling a day? Are you selling a beat a day? If you're selling a beat a day, you can consider that as filling up your calendar and you can start to reduce your hours at your job, but do not do that until you have that savings set up and you don't have don't touch don't touch that savings unless it is an emergency and you have no choice and usually for the average person you're going to have to save up about 10 grand it's usually about 10 grand is that what is what you're going to need saved up and that usually pays for about three months of expenses um, and then you can start talking about doing that transitional period and i highly recommend just cutting hours don't just go i'm quitting cut your hours so you can focus more on your business, focus more on the marketing side of things, and you do, you relieve yourself of the stress that is held against you when you your money is running out and you're trying to creatively come up with things to sell because just like you said, you'll freeze up, you'll get anxiety, and you'll get that writer's block because you're so focused on trying to make the next track that's gonna make you money and that takes away from the creativity and in return takes away from you selling tracks because if your tracks aren't creative enough, people aren't going to buy them. Those are some points that you really need to keep in mind when you're working on transitioning from part time to full time as a producer. So, Danny, can people still buy your producer tracks? I know you're not taking requests, but can people go online? Can they go to BeatStars and license your track still? Uh, yeah. So I leave it up there because like, even though I haven't made beats in a long time, I still make like monthly sales every now and then. I still make like a couple of hundred or a few hundred bucks every month from small leases here and there that people keep finding. So yeah, no, I just leave it up there. It pays for itself off. It's a $20 a month subscription. I'm like, fuck, it, I'll just leave it up there. There's going to be a point in time where I'm going to go back into this again. I'm just, oh, fuck it. You know, 
yeah let's uh let's get some plugs in for you then what's your what's your beatstars account where can they find you on beatstars for people to license their tracks if they're looking for a producer literally at beatstars.com hyphen um not hyphen slash cinco sound and then uh, you should see my page there okay so www.beatstars.com slash cinco sound and that's c-i-n-c-o S-O-U-N-D. Um, and then my website also is uh, CincoSound.com. So yeah, you guys can find him at www.BeatStars.com slash CincoSound, www.CincoSound.com. And if people want to email you and reach out and they have some questions for you, what's your email address that they can reach you at? Yeah, so it's uh, Cinco at CincoSound.com. So uh, the spelling is the same way. And uh, yeah, man, feel free to to email me anytime. Honestly, I'm probably just gonna recommend you some of the sources that I've I've found that have helped me. Um, and a lot of that actually, if you sign up with BeatStars, they have like a whole bunch of webinar tutorials on how to set everything up. Because like, I thought that was amazing. I didn't know that until like I, I paid for it, and then boom, like the tutorials popped up, and I was like, yeah, this is how you want to start setting things up. And it tells you everything about how to market, how to create a Google Ads campaign. And I was like, holy, f- like, I was blown away by it. I was like, shit, this is amazing. So. Um, I know that tool will be very, very helpful. And then there's like tons of other guys who post constantly online and you kind of have to be around that support. So people like Kato on the track, DJ Payne One, um, even like Superstar O. These are like industry beat star, not beat stars, but like uh, producers who like are making fucking a hell of a living selling beats online. Like if you look at Superstar O, this guy's got like a fucking like Lambo and like houses and all this kind of things. It's stupid. It's just like he's making money off of just selling these little leases here and there but like to his volume though like he's clearly found some way to systemize things so like there's no doubt about it he probably has like a mixing guy who's mixing the beat train because he probably doesn't have time to make to mix music anymore he's like yo you know like he just has to keep put, putting out ideas and whatnot so well if there's if there are producers out there in that situation where they're just making a shit ton of beats they're not good at mixing or mastering or can't do it uh, it's, I mean, Danny, you're kind of the guy to go to for this kind of thing. Cause that's, this is your niche. This is your genre is hip hop and R and B. So go to CincoSound.com. Um, I'm sure you have a quote form on there that they can fill out for them to hire you as a mixing or mastering engineer. I've heard your stuff. It is unbelievably fire people. What's your YouTube account so people can go listen to some of your beats. Cause the shit on there is unbelievable. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Um, same thing, just Cinco Sound. I make sure everything was congruent and consistent. So um, if you Cinco Sound anything, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, fucking Facebook, handle name slash Cinco Sound anything is going to be, I'm going to pop up right away. So I made sure like when I chose that name, I got everything. Yeah. And you guys got to go to his YouTube channel and check his shit out. It is unbelievable. When I first started talking to you, because I, we started, got, we got into contact because I had a a hip hop um a rapper that was looking for a producer and he he listened to your shit and he was like this is unbelievable so uh yeah highly recommend you guys go check his youtube out um and i'm you mixed and mastered all that stuff too right all of it yeah yeah so i mean there's his portfolio right there you guys can check it out if you need an engineer well thank you so much danny i appreciate you taking the time to uh record this interview with me um i definitely want to bring you back on for another episode where we can kind of get more into the business side of things because i think this episode was more of a setup of how do you get on the market how do you sell beats and what do you need to do to get these things in place I, I would love to do a follow-up interview where we really talk about the business aspect of things, all the really technical, nitty-gritty stuff, because that's just as important as 
getting your stuff online to sell. I'm down for that. And I, I want to say thank you as well for uh, bringing me on and uh, for the for the plug, you know, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it was a good conversation. And uh, yeah, in the future, man, if you're down for that, I'm, I'm down for that too. Oh yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Danny. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. You take care. You too, bro. I hope you guys got something from that and learned a few things that you can apply to yourself as a producer and start making some money online right now as we speak. I have one quick favor to ask you guys. If you got anything from this episode at all, if anything was helpful, I would really appreciate it if you went to iTunes, gave this show a rating, reviewed it, and also subscribed. Don't forget to share it with your friends. I really need to know if you're even listening to this and taking anything away from it because there are a million other things that I could be doing with myself and my business than making a podcast for my girlfriend and my mom. Go to enviousaudio.com slash podcast to check out the show notes. I'll have links on there for you to follow to check out the stuff that we talked about on today's episode. Please, again, head to iTunes, give it a review, rate it, and I'll see you guys on the next episode where we will be talking about the importance of mentorship. I've got Cameron Bashaw from Neologic Studios on that episode. There's a lot of great information in there about how to approach a mentor, how to provide value to a mentor, and things that you will get from a mentor. Again, I'm Christian Casido from Envious Audio. This was the first episode of Electronic Dance Money. Take care. Take care.